The following audio is from Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. Take your Bibles this morning and look at Psalm chapter 92. Psalm 92, beginning at verse number 1 this morning. It is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord. And to sing praises unto thy name, O Most High. To show forth loving kindness in the morning and thy faithfulness every night. Upon an instrument of ten strings and upon the psaltery, upon the harp with a solemn sound. For thou, Lord, hast made me glad through thy work. I will triumph in the works of thy hands. O Lord, how great are thy works and thy thoughts are very deep. A brutish man knoweth not, neither doth a fool understand this. When the wicked spring as the grass, and when all the workers of iniquity do flourish, it is that they shall be destroyed forever. But thou, Lord, art most high forevermore. For lo, thine enemies, O Lord, for lo, thine enemies shall perish. All the workers of iniquity shall be scattered But my horn shall thou exalt like the horn of a unicorn. I shall be anointed with fresh oil. Mine eyes also shall see my desire on mine enemies, and mine ears shall hear the desire of the wicked that rise up against me. The righteous shall flourish like the palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those that be planted in the house of our Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bring forth fruit in old age. They shall be fat and flourishing. To show that the Lord is upright, he is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. This is the word of the Lord. This psalm is a grateful psalm of praise. And it's interesting to note this morning as we gather together um, as a nation to give thanksgiving, um, the, the Hebrews don't have a word for thanksgiving. If something good happens, they just don't say thank you. Uh, The Hebrew word is yada here, and it literally means to confess. So when we say to give thanks unto the Lord or thanksgiving, it means to confess. And in this light, the idea is that to give thanks to the Lord means that we confess publicly, out loud, who he is and what he has done. That's we say thanksgiving they take it a little bit deeper to mean I am confessing the God who is and what he has done. And this song confesses the work of God. Now, you you have with you this little sheet of paper, uh, and it's Psalm 92. I want to explain that quickly, and then we'll move on. Uh, This psalm is what we call an inclusio. It's a Hebrew literary device that the writer writes it in such a way that he wants to draw attention to the main point or the main theme. And so um, it's somewhat colorful. I hope that doesn't distract all of you during the service. But the idea is that this this song is sort of bracketed by verse number one and verse number two. And, And here's what verse number one says. It says, it is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord. Verse 15 continues that thought or finishes that thought by telling us this giving thanks is to show that the Lord is upright, he is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. And so 
this is a device to draw attention to what he, he believes is most important. And often in these inclusios, right smack in the middle is sort of a linchpin that, 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 that connects everything together. So the linchpin is verse number 8. If you'll see on your paper, kind of colorful, the, the colors line up because they sort of match each other. But here's what verse number 8 says. But thou, Lord, are most high forevermore. And this is central. Uh, we come to confess that the Lord is most high forevermore. And so that's this device that we're looking at this morning. Um, maybe to get this in your mind and, and to make the paper make some sense to you, if we were looking at, at a pond or a body of water, and we took a rock and we chucked it into the center of the pond and it hit in center, right? That would be verse 8. And you know when a, when a rock hits the water, you have these concentric circles that go out. If you follow the psalm, that's what it does. 1 and 15 connect, um, 7 and 9 connect, and you work your way out like that. It really is a beautiful thing. And um, my, my plan today was to look at this inclusio and to work my way from the center to the out or from the out to the in. But on Wednesday, I was sharing this with our people, and I realized that it didn't make any sense. <laughs> this is terrible. It was just Terrible. And I lost the glory of verse number 8, that he, the Lord, is most high forevermore. And so, I say all of that and give you all of this to say, don't worry about this. All right? Hold on to it. Take it home. It really is interesting. You find this throughout all of Scripture. You find it in the New Testament, you find it in the Old Testament. And I think if you look at it, it will make sense eventually. But my mind is not Hebrew. And it just doesn't work like that. It doesn't work half the time. All right? And so what I'd like to do instead is look at this psalm of thanksgiving and confession and work it through a Gentile mind from start to finish. Okay? So you can take notes on that sheet of paper if you'd like to. Let's go to the psalm then, verse number one. Your Bible should have, in the beginning of this psalm, a title. And it should say something like this. A psalm or a song for the Sabbath day. Okay, you have that? If you have that in your Bible, you should. If not, um, it should be there. Um, this is a title for the psalm, and it's a song that the Jews sang on the Sabbath day. Um, their Sabbath day, of course, was Saturday. It was a day of rest. And in the temple, this is a song they would sing on their day of rest. Now, as believers, we do not meet on Saturday. Do you know why we do not meet on Saturday? Does anyone know why we meet on Sundays? Joanne. Because Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday, and all of the things changed. For the Hebrew, there was no way that the first day of the week meant anything to them. Maybe a new beginning in some uh, uh, festivities and celebrations, but their day was Saturday. And all of a sudden, all of this changes to the first day of the week. Why? Because the one who said, I'm going to lay my life down and get up again, did exactly that, and he changed everything. Therefore, we worship our day of rest. We see it as Sunday. But there's something, I think, interesting in the fact that this is a psalm or a song about rest and Sabbath um, that might help us this morning. Their idea of rest was to adore, confess, give thanks, and praise the Lord. And I think sometimes our idea of rest is really skewed. 
Because we think, okay, it's Sunday, my day of rest, and so today I'm going to sit on the sofa. I'm going to lay on the sofa. I'm going to eat Cheetos. I'm going to watch football for eight hours. Now, Adrian, I see you shaking your head. This is not a good point that I'm making right now, okay? This is not where you say amen. Okay? But this is what we think. This is, I'm going to rest. Or some of you are more spiritual. You say, well, my rest is Sunday. And so I come to church, and for 40 minutes, I get a nap. And that is my day of rest. But I want you to note with this psalm of praise and adoration on the Sabbath day, the rest wasn't about sleeping. It was about participating, adoring, and praising the God of heaven. And so this morning when you come, and when I come, we should not come as spectators. We shouldn't come as just the audience. Like, hey, I'm here. What you got for me? Entertain me. No, the idea is that we come and we're involved. We give thanks, we confess, and we praise. This idea of rest is glorying in the fact that our God is most high forevermore. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. So he begins, and this song, the the content of this song is well adapted for such use. We have much ground here to confess, to praise, and to thank. He talks of God's work. God's justice, God's protection, God's judgment of the wicked. And I think if we were to sum it up to keep our minds sort of on tune with what this psalm is saying, we're going to see this morning that we should confess and praise and give thanks for God as the creator. He is the creator of all things, right? His work in creation. And then you're going to see God in his ways with his children. And that's what I hope to bring out this morning. So let's look at verse number one as we work as Gentiles, through this chapter. Verse 1. It is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord and to sing praises unto thy name, O Most High. The psalmist is telling us to gratefully worship, confess, thank, and praise God in every sense is a good thing. In every sense. In every way you can imagine this morning, to confess who God is and what he has done and to praise him and to thank him is good. And there are several reasons that I'll just mention this morning. There are much more, but here's one. God commands us through scripture to praise and confess his goodness. Now think about this. Um, If I said to you, listen, I want you every day to call me up, to come visit me, And I want you to confess how good I am. I want you to sing my praises. I want you to tell me how great I am. And I want you to do it over and over and over again. Do you think that would be normal? Do some of you think that? you think that's normal? It's not normal. You would say that I am narcissistic. And yet the God of heaven says, commands that we as his children praise him Um, confess him, give thanks to him always. This was a real problem for C.S. Lewis. He he thought at first this was very narcissistic. He he didn't understand why God would do that until he started thinking about art. Um, Some of you folks here, perhaps you love art, you love museums, you love um, displays, and and you, you you live for that. Maybe for others, not so much. Maybe you look at art and it's like, ugh. Right? And for you, it's something else. 
Maybe it's a vehicle, right? Maybe a luxury car or a, a race car or a Mustang. It's like, ooh. For others of us who maybe aren't even that evolved, it's just food. Wow, that was a great meal, right? And what Lewis did was he looked at art and realized when he saw great art, there was something in him that just demanded that he adore that work of art. And it dawned on him then that if artwork or whatever it is brings about in us this feeling of adoration and praise, it demands it actually. Could you imagine if, if someone made an awesome meal? We'll, we'll go to the basis one of these. It was just awesome. I mean, every bite was fantastic. And you just, I mean, from, from start to finish, it's like everything. The meat was tender and, 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 and the dessert, creme brulee, and it just melted in your mouth. And when you're finished, your host who made it, you looked at him and said, mm. some of you would be dead depending on your host, Right? We would lose out because it's a good thing to express gratitude for that which is lovely and wonderful and beautiful. And here's the point, and this is what Lewis realizes well. If we do not praise the God of heaven, we lose out because he is worthy of all praise. He is a fountain of goodness, love, joy, and peace. And he is on high, and we miss out by not praising and confessing him. And so, it's good. God commands us. Not only that, we're called to praise him because of our relationship. Because of our relationship with him. We do this as humans all the time. If you have someone in your life say, hey, listen, I know, I know this guy. He's a great mechanic. All right? I know three, no, not, this is not, I know three honest mechanics. Not that there aren't more, but I personally know three of them that are honest. Two of them are in our church, all right? I, I think, I know that Sheldon and Travis are good, honest mechanics, right? I trust them. And if I ever have any of the problem, say, listen, you want a good mechanic, you need to go to these guys, you can trust them. And we do that all the time. I got this insurance agent, I got this realtor, I got this banker, you need to see them, and our relationship with God is such that we should be saying, let me tell you about my God. Let me tell you what he's done in my life. Let me tell you about the relationship I have with the living God of heaven. It is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord. Not only that, um, it changes us and it cheers us. We had the, the blessing yesterday of seeing Mitch and Maggie married. It was a beautiful time, a beautiful celebration. Um, oh, what did I say? Did Mitch not marry Maggie? Oh, good. I was actually there. I should know this. <laughs> Kyle and Maggie. Sorry, Mitch and Daniela. That is just, right? Theirs was beautiful, too. I heard a laugh going by. I thought, it's not funny that they're married, but they're not married. So, right, I got it now. Hey, you think it's easy? You should try talking for 40 minutes sometime. It's a terrible thing. You're going to make mistakes. Anyways, but beautiful, a sweet, sweet season. I talked to a brother the other day, about a week ago, and he said, we are just entering into a sweet season of life. 
and I rejoice with that. And this is life. Sometimes there are sweet seasons, and sometimes there are seasons that are not sweet. They're sorrowful. And um, we're, we're in, this is the nature of the church, actually. But there are folks who, this is not a sweet season. There are um, tests to take. There's the unknown to face and the known to face. There's loss, there's loneliness, there's grief. And it's, it's sad. And I'm not, I'm not minimizing that because I know the, the heartaches of our people this morning. This is life. It's, it's seasonal like that. There is, at the same time in a church, there are blessings, and then there is great discouragement. And yet, in the midst of all of that, it is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord. Because in the midst of it, it doesn't minimize like what I'm going through, but what it says is, Lord, for this moment, I'm taking attention off myself and my heartache, and I'm pushing it toward you. And instead of seeing the problem that I have and the stress that I have and the sorrow that I have, I want my eyes to gaze on the great God that you are for comfort, for peace, for the joy in the midst of the storm. It is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord. We need to understand that because all you have to do is live long enough and you will be bereaved. We're in our Sunday school class and Pastor Dan's been talking about abortion, euthanasia, assisted suicide. And for some reason this morning, it just dawned on me in, in, a, in a different way, my own mortality. I think maybe part of it's the wedding. You see your kids, honestly, you watch them grow up, you think, where does time go? And you witness that, and then you think about life and death, and, and it's there. And so there, there's this time that we, we go through these seasons of life, and it's a good thing to give thanks to the Lord. Why? Not because it, it minimizes or, or, or acts as if my sorrow is not real, but it takes my attention from me to the greatness and the goodness of our God. And there's something that cheers us. There is something about corporate worship. That cheers us. We had a chance last year, um, Pastor Dan and I, to go to a conference, 10,000 believers, most of which were pastors. And I have to tell you something. There is something incredible about being with believers just like this morning and singing praise to our God. It cheers our heart. It is good. It is edifying. It is enriching in our lives. And so this morning, we start out by saying, it is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord. And it is, and we ought to, and we need to confess that in our hearts and lives. Verses 2 and 3, to show forth loving kindness in the morning and thy faithfulness every night upon an instrument of ten strings and upon the psaltery, upon the harp with a solemn sound. And here God's nature and his ways are fit matters for public and private celebration. He says, and he gives us two things to, to sort of think about, his loving kindness, his stead fast love. I love what we did this morning. We sang about his love. And I want you to know something. His loving kindness that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For God so loved the world that he gave. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing. These are themes that should help us and encourage us to confess the God we serve. Loving kindness and faithfulness. His faithfulness to us. His mercies are new every day. And these ideas help us to understand that God helps, protects, and delivers his people. 
Verse number four. For thou, Lord, hast made me glad through thy work. I will triumph in the works of thy hands. O Lord, how great are thy works, and thy thoughts are very deep. He says, now that I praise you and I think about these thoughts and these themes, who you are and what you've done, I am filled with joy. And when he says uh, the word triumph there, you have made me triumph, this might rattle some long-term Baptist people, but that, that word triumph literally means to shout loud. It means that there's an excitement about who God is and what he is doing, and his works have caused me to triumph. It fills my heart and my soul with gladness, and I express that. The work and works there in that phrase, two different words, it covers the whole field of God's operation, and he says they are deep, they are vast, they're inexhaustible. So this morning as we come, thinking of Thanksgiving and confession, we look at his works and understand they're vast, they're inexhaustible. So we praise him for his work. And I think as you go through the psalm and all through scripture, you see the idea of confessing God and his work of creation. Creation. It's a funny thing. We as humans, we live on this planet. We live in this creation. And oftentimes, I think we just take for granted the magnitude and the magnificence of all of this. And so I'd like to do this this morning if we can. Back there, fellas. I have a little video and I have to be honest, um, the people who made this video, I do not believe they're believers. I don't. Um, but I think it will help you understand the magnitude um, of creation from the smallest to the greatest things that we see. So let's show this. I think it's just a couple minutes. And just watch, listen, and see what's happening here. Incredible, isn't it? When we think about creation, all the angels and men united, it has been said, could not make one grasshopper. And this is our God. All creation from the microscopic to me to DNA to distant galaxies should all be met with adoring wonder and joy and gladness as we look and see the God who is. He's revealed himself through creation. It is unbelievable. It is mind-blowing. We see those things and we experience those things. We don't even understand our creator, our maker. The works of his hands are deep. They're inexhaustible. We can't even comprehend them. The work of creation. And it should be something that we praise him for. This world's trying to steal that from us. No, God is the creator of all things, seen and unseen. And we praise and we thank him and we confess him this morning. But I wonder, as far as the work of God's hands, if we as believers don't naturally go to the work of the nail-scarred hands. There's an old song that, I don't know if we've sung, it's a beautiful song, it's How Wonderful Art Thou. I think it sort of brings together this idea of creation and the vastness of it, and God's wonder and awe, and then our salvation. So as I walk at night beneath majestic skies, 
And know behind them all is a God all wise, who fixed all stars each in its lonely place and wrapped them in a darkened robe of space. I scan the heavens with rapture in my soul and wonder how the God who made the whole could ever fix his thoughts on such as I and give his son upon the cross to die. Almighty God, how wonderful art thou. To love the world while heavens before thee bow, I fail to comprehend it all somehow. Almighty God, how wonderful art thou. And as we think this morning of praise and thanksgiving and confession, how can we not stop and thank God for the work of redemption that he wrought in our lives this morning, that we were lost Sinners on the road to hell and condemnation, eternal damnation. And yet, while we were sinners, while we were rebels, Christ died for us. And it ought to be, as we think of that, of all people on the earth, there should be this exuberant joy within our hearts and lives that confesses Jesus Christ and what he's done. Who has felt the nail upon his hand? Bearing the awful guilt of sinful man. God eternal, humbled to the grave. Jesus Savior, risen now to reign. That is our God, and we should rejoice and sing and praise and confess how great is our God. He is worthy to be praised. He sits on high. And so, this is Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Verse number six. Interesting Transition here after what we've just talked about. Verse 6 says, A brutish man knoweth not, neither doth a fool understand this. And it's interesting there, that, that idea of a brute has the idea of an animal, a fool. And he's talking now about those who don't know Christ, who they, say, they see the same things that we see. They experience it all, and yet they don't get it. They don't understand They're clueless. They're willingly ignorant. They're fools. The fool prefers time to eternity, earth to heaven, the world to the maker, sin to holiness, and death to life. And so we can come in, we can confess and praise, and yet our neighbor says, I don't know what you're talking about because that's not my life. I don't see it. And here's the reason they don't. Look for seven. When the wicked spring as the grass, and when all the workers of iniquity do flourish. Listen, those who don't know, who are blind, they don't care. Their life is like grass. It is growing up. It is flourishing. They are in their own hearts and minds. They've got it all. They're having a great time. Christian, we've got to quit saying things like, well, there is no pleasure in sin. There is, or we wouldn't do it. There's, there is pleasure at times when we step out of God's boundaries, when we give in to our lust. Sure, there is pleasure. That's why people do it. But the psalmist reminds us it's for a season. It's a season. What's the shelf life for grass? Right? It was growing on a farmer's field. An oxen comes by, cows come by, they eat it, it's gone. In the city here, if you have a mower, it's a week. The best you have is maybe half a summer if it's hot out. 
And what the psalmist is saying is, yes, it seems like the wicked are prospering. Yes, they have no idea why we're confessing, but they're blind. They're like the grass. The end of verse 7 tells us, it is they that they shall be destroyed forever. 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 Verse 8 is our center point. Again, the linchpin, it reminds us here that the Lord is most high forevermore. And I think it's perfect there because as we've just talked about the wicked and the raging against God, we're reminded that the Lord is most high forevermore, unresting, unhasting, and silent as light, not wanting, not wasting, thou rulest in might, and he is above it all. Above it all. And when puny man rebels against God and shakes his fist at God and acts as if he doesn't exist and you've got it all together. The Bible says that God sits in the heavens and he laughs. He laughs. Now, I've not raised girls. I've raised three boys. I'm raising three boys. I'm actually raising one and a half boys right now. But anyways, so when they were younger, here's what we did. We wrestled. I don't know, if you, I don't know what you do with girls, but we wrestled. And as we wrestled, there were times when my kids, maybe seven, eight, nine years old, would get me in a headlock, you know, and they'd squeeze as hard as they could. And as they were squeezing, I was laughing. I was just, I could not quit laughing. I laughed and I laughed and I laughed. And as I laughed, they got more mad. And they started squeezing harder and jumping up and down. And the reason I was laughing was because none of it affected me. None of it. I knew at any moment I could break them in half. This was, this was nothing for me. And I laughed, and I mocked, and we had a good time. But they really believed they were doing something. They were doing nothing. And sinful man rages against God. He doesn't exist. I am in my own life. I'll do what I want. And God sits in the heaven, unfazed, doesn't, doesn't destroy his plan, his will, his reign. He laughs. And the Bible says in Psalm chapter 2 that he will have them in derision. It's a terrible thing to be mocked, isn't it? I mean, no one likes that. I mean, if you're ever out someplace, and even if you pray in a restaurant and someone laughs out loud about that, it doesn't make you feel good. It's a terrible thing to be mocked. They mock Christ. But there's coming a day that God will mock the wicked. He will mock the wicked. Why? They're destroyed in a moment. Look at verse number 9. For thou, for lo, thine enemies, O Lord, for lo, thine enemies shall perish. All the workers of iniquity shall be scattered. It comes to an end. And what the psalmist reminds us is this. God is high and lifted up. No one gets away with anything. No one. Not the dictator, not the terrorist, not the murderer, not the rapist, not the embezzler, right? Not the photographer or the pornographer, not the... Um, self-righteous or unrighteous, we all stand before God and it comes to an end. And the psalmist reminds God's people, listen, do not envy them. Those who mock God will eventually be destroyed. They'll be scattered. We should pray. We should plead. We should have them to, to understand they have a Savior in Christ, but it comes to an end. And what the wicked do not realize is then their greatness and glory is a prelude to their overthrow. God has set them in slippery places. In slippery places. And now verses 10 through 14, he makes a comparison between the righteous, his children, and the wicked. Verse 10, 
But my horn shall thou exalt like the horn of a unicorn. I will be anointed with fresh oil. Mine eye also shall see my desire on mine enemies, and mine ears shall hear my desire of the wicked that rise up against me. The righteous shall flourish like the palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bring forth fruit in their old age, and they shall be fat and flourishing. I want you to see what the writer does here. He makes a comparison between the wicked who are like grass. He says, that's not God's people. God punishes the wicked. He preserves his children, the righteous. He says we're like a palm tree, a date palm tree. It is an evergreen. It grows in places where nothing else grows. It grows to be um, 200 years old at times, and it bears a ton of fruit. It flourishes. It's the palm tree. He says that's what the righteous are like. It's sustained by some secret spring. And then he says the cedar, which is also an evergreen. But it's not in the valley. It's on a mountaintop. And the storms rage there. But there, too, it flourishes. It it stands straight. It grows to 120 feet. It can live for 1,000 years. And a seed that has been dormant for 500 years from the cedar can still germinate. And this is the comparison he makes between the ungodly and the righteous. They're grass. We are trees. The grass is burnt. It's wasted. It's scattered. The cedar is used to build the temple of God. And this is the comparison that he makes with God's people. This is the amazing work of God in the life of believers. We are his creation. We are his handiwork. We have been sustained by a spring of divine grace. We have been anointed by the Spirit. He produces fruit, and we flourish. And even in drought and storms, we are not destroyed. We grow. This is the work of God. He saves, he changes, he empowers. And this is what we ought to thank him for this morning. I'm not talking today about we got it all together, coming to church, holding our heads up high, our big family Bibles, and we got no problems. That's not what I'm talking about for God's people. That's not how it works. Newton had this right. He said, I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be in another world, but still, I am not what I once was. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And this is God's work, that we are no longer what we once were. Why? Because the Spirit of God, that gift that he's given, the Word of God, it's transforming us, it's changing us. And when we come together in public and in private, We should confess and give thanks that his work of creation, his work of redemption, his work in us is worthy of praise. Worthy of praise. And it all comes down to this at the end of the chapter. It's a good thing to give thanks to the Lord, to confess, to praise. Why? Because we show that the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. And dear brother and sister in Christ this morning, as we focus on thanksgiving and understanding it's a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord, we should confess and we should praise and we should acknowledge who he is and what he has done. Why? So as the world looks at us, his children, we say, listen, our God is good. He is upright. He is my rock, my fortress, my strength. There is no unrighteousness in him. And so, 
Let me encourage you for thanksgiving. To thank him. To confess him. Not just here in our midst, but during the week to think of his works and to glory in those things. It will change us. It will change us as a people. It will change our families. It will change our church. It will change our communities if we would give thanks and confess this to the Lord Jesus Christ to all around us. Thanksgiving. One more portion of scripture. We'll stop with this. Psalm 100. The psalmist writes, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him, and praise his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. Join me in standing this morning. We'll close our service by making a joyful noise, by singing praises to him.